0: Welcome back to the seventh episode of Purpose Driven Law. I am your host, Amy Berry. And on Purpose Driven Law, we dig in deep with the leaders within the legal industry who are pursuing their purpose through their practice. I am so excited for today's episode because I just know that all of you listening are really going to get so much value from my next guest. I've had the privilege of knowing Greg Ward and his wife, Hani from my early days of my career in the legal space and have watched from a distance them catapult to unbelievable levels of success. The Wards are truly building a legacy within their firm that is built on the foundation of incredible values and culture. Ward's achievements and business ingenuity have earned him a great number of honors and recognitions. Ward has received awards from the National Trial Lawyers, the South Florida Legal Guide, Florida Trend Magazine, Super Lawyers, Best Lawyers in America, and Golden Gavel Awards, among many others. After 10 years of working for mostly for the defense, in 2012, Ward founded the Ward Law Group with his partner and wife, Hani Martinez Ward. The Ward Law Group focuses on serving the Hispanic community across the country, bringing quality legal service to a community that is often underserved. In the last eight years, he has successfully led the Ward Law Group to an annual growth rate of 40 to 50% and has achieved 19 settlements totaling over $1 million. A notable accomplishment of the firm was a confidential settlement in excess of a hundred million dollars, one of the Nash nation's largest settlements of its kind. Greg, welcome to Purpose Driven Law. How are you today?
1: I'm great, Amy. Thanks for being here. One other award I want to throw out there: my wife just got it was a 40 under 40 for the South Florida Business Journal. So she's on fire. Amazing. Um, I believe she's going to get like a 40 under 40 for Forbes because my wife is is in some ways the heart of the firm. Yeah, we're uh, really proud of her and her accomplishments. And, you know, we'll get into you know her role in the firm and what we've done together. But we're super excited about that. And listen to your numbers. I, I think some of those numbers might be a little old. We've, we did the numbers for our anniversary party. We've settled uh, f- over five hundred million dollars worth of cases in the last, you know, really six years uh, of our firm. So we're uh, we're very, very happy to serve our clients. And God has really blessed us. Mm. Considering where we started and where we come from, so mm. uh, just I'm happy to be doing his work, and all glory to God. And really, everything good is Him, and everything bad is me. I <laughs> want to be clear at the very beginning because I okay. still make a lot of mistakes, but God has been good to us.
0: Amen to that. Well, I think that's a great kickoff to our conversation. Why don't you take us through that timeline of when you first got into the legal space, kind of why you became a lawyer, because your testimony is just so powerful um, uh, from when you we had that discussion out in Miami earlier this year. And I just think so many people, especially young attorneys that are looking to build their purpose and their place in this industry can just get so much value from you. So why don't you take us through that?
1: Sure. I appreciate it. So you know, I, I'll be very transparent about this uh, because I have to be, obviously, and, and God has done so many miracles. And without my transparency, his miracles won't be so obvious. But I started off, I, I was born to a sort of an upper, lower class, or lower middle class family in Baltimore. And unfortunately, my younger sister got into heroin at a pretty young age. And uh, growing up in Baltimore in that area with, you know, drug addiction and other substance abuse issues, uh, it was a, it was a tough kind of start. Um, to things. And I always believed that the reason why my family had problems was because we didn't have enough money. Mm. So the solution became, and I grew up Catholic. I, I grew up, I was pretty good Catholic, I was at altar boy, CCD teacher, that kind of thing. But, um, but I believe we didn't have enough money. And I, so I wanted to be rich. I wanted to make a lot of money because I thought, you know what, my sister has this drug problem. My mom drinks too much, my dad's issues. All of that is because we're poor. And my mom told me that she's like, we're poor, we're poor. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. Mm-hmm. That was something that got into my head at a very young age. Not so much that I was poor because I didn't take that yoke on myself. I just thought, you know what? I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to make a lot of money. And my family's not going to be like this because we're going to be rich. And that's going to be the solution. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and so I, I wanted a little bit because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I, you know, I, I had a, what they call a drunken sailor approach to life which was I tried a bunch of different jobs and I did okay. in most of the jobs I was in sales, I did door-to-door sales. I was a lifeguard and a pool manager. And uh, I, I taught some classes and things uh, and, you know, went to college and uh, did the marching band and part the marching band and, you know, kind of came out of my shell socially uh, and then got into law school, kind of fell into law school.
0: Mm-hmm. And then when
1: I hit law school was when I really started doing well academically. I, I loved law school. I thought it was great. I just was so driven. The, the, Intensity of law school was right up my alley. It really drew out some of the best and some of the worst qualities in me. But but really, like I was just competitive and 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 did really well uh, at, at University of Baltimore, where I went to school, and was able to go to a big firm. And for me, big firm corporate job, you know, big representing big corporations was success, right? That was the way. And I didn't know what being rich meant, but. To me, that seemed like that was a quote unquote rich life. You know, I was going to be wearing blue suits and driving BMWs and, you know, Uh represent these important people. And that's going to be me. I'm going to be that guy. And uh, I got that. And that didn't satisfy me, but we can talk about that in in the next question. But that was, that was quote unquote success. And then that petered out for me. Wow.
0: So, what is so your definition of success? When you got it and attained it, it just wasn't fulfilling to you. So now what is your definition of success?
1: So to get to my definition today, you got to understand kind of the rest of the story. Hmm. Because although I was Catholic and I, you know, I, so about two years into the big firm, I said, you know, there's a better way to do this. And I started thinking about starting my own firm. Hmm. And then I went out and did that. And I did that for about eight years. I brought in some partners and uh, then life caught up with me. You know, I went through a very messy divorce. I my father and my sister both were diagnosed with terminal leukemia within two years of each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, my business fell apart as well. The law firm I had started with me, as other partners had fallen apart. So after the end of that kind of beginning run where I was the golden boy and was doing great as a big firm associate and all that, getting top reviews and all that, I, I ended up with my own firm and then ended up crashing personally. In that area and there were some other things that happened that I can't get into but you know generally I, but at that point I ended up sleeping on a couch mm-hmm. right I was basically bankrupt I was uh, personally I was over two hundred thousand dollars in debt and uh I couldn't afford a bed I had my little daughter who was I guess four three four at the time wow. I got her back from my ex-wife so she was sleeping in the bed upstairs and I had the couch downstairs and uh you know I didn't really have anything I, I uh, had an indoor outdoor table as my dining room table and a little Ikea pullout couch I was sleeping on and a couple of plates. And, and that was it. And, uh, you know, that's where God found me. Mm. And that's where my life changed at that point.
0: Yeah. Was this all when you were focusing on your defense work? when you had your defense practice? Yeah. So,
1: so I had, I had done the big firm defense route and then i had gone and take my clients. I had a couple of clients. I went out and started my own firm, built up kind of a book of business at that point. So I was doing some defense work, but I started doing some plaintiff's work, not personal injury, but I was doing insurance coverage, suing on behalf of some businesses, you know, some shareholder partnership disputes, that kind of thing. And I would do some defense and some plaintiff's work, but I wasn't doing the personal injury practice that I have now, okay. but that was kind of what I was doing as a small boutique litigation firm in South Florida and Fort Lauderdale okay. with my other partners. So I still, but I, I thought if I'm gonna work, I might as well work for myself. And that's why I started my own firm. I figured that would be the path to success. Yeah. is yeah. and glory. What Indiana Jones says fortune and glory. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um so let's rewind there a little bit because I think that there was just a lot of golden nuggets in what you were saying. Um so when you were your rock bottom moment You were sleeping on a couch. You had a four year old little girl. You've lost everything. You're in debt. You're up to your eyeballs. I'm sure you felt just totally out of control, overwhelmed. You said that you found God in that moment. Before you said you were Catholic, but I really don't think it matters what we label ourselves of Mm -hmm. what we are. It's, you know, where your heart is at. So Mm -hmm. when was. Take us through that moment of when you had that revelation of like, holy, I can't keep going down this road. Yeah. How did, how did that all transpire, and how did you get out of that?
1: Sure. So I was. In addition, you forgot mentioning I was drunk most of the time too. I was drinking, uh, a- and I was working out. You know, I was exercising, but I was I would go out and party until one o'clock in the morning, and then I would go work out at five o'clock in the morning the next day. I mean, it's a miracle I didn't die. Mm-hmm. uh, with that, but it was, it was a, it was a bad space. And I was, you know, partying in South Florida, which is a really good or bad place to party, depending on what your view of partying is. Yeah. Uh, so I was doing that and, uh, you know, but on the couch thinking this isn't, this isn't my life. Now, at the same time, I was reading a lot of success books. I was reading thinking grow rich. Mm-hmm. I was reading, uh, you know, the science of getting rich, Bob Proctor's, you know, you were born rich, uh, you know, uh, Tony Robbins, all Tony Robbins stuff. I was really reading this stuff. And I was like, why is this not working for me? Like I'm visualizing, I have my little cards that was doing all the stuff, the way that they say to do it and see and believe and receive and all those things. And, uh, so I went to a luncheon where I met my now wife. Now she tells the story because my woman, my wife was a woman of God and she was, she was Christian uh, she had a very close relationship with God at that point. And she'd written a letter to God in December. This was in February In December. She wrote a letter to God saying what she wanted in a husband. So she's 23 at this point. Uh-huh. When she saw me, she heard a voice that said, that's going to be your husband. Mm-hmm. So that was powerful for her. She came over, started talking to me. We had uh, some banter and things. And, you know, it was a, a bit of a rocky start, but I could tell she was different. And so we went out. Over the course of the next few months, I said she was going to church. I said, take me to church. And she said, don't, I don't want to take you to church um, until I know it's serious. Mm. And I had to change my ways to even date her because, you know, I was partying and she's like, that's not me. So if you want to date me, you don't do this anymore. And and I stopped. Mm. Uh, And then five months and four or five months into our relationship, I went to church where I had a very powerful encounter with God at that moment, which is what changed my life. And that was the, that was the the real touch point where things just changed.
0: So what was the first thing that you did differently after you had that moment? How did you start to change your life?
1: Well, so talking about the moment for a second, so I, you know, they did an altar call, right? You know, the yeah. book of Romans says, confess with your mouth, what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is your Lord. Mm-hmm. And when my pastor did an altar call, I realized he said, if if you're, if you've tried everything else and it doesn't work you know, you need to change your relationship with God and you need Jesus in your life. Mm-hmm. And so that for me was, I said, oh, wait a minute, I, I've never, I never read that chapter of the Bible. I've never looked at that. And oh my gosh, I need to say this. And so I ran up to the front of the church and I confessed in my heart that I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. Over the next year and a half, God made some tremendous changes in my life. And by that, I mean, because I still was in the business that I started, but it was not going well. And he took me out of that business. Um, He also got my ex-wife under control. Uh, He got me under control. And I started realizing that, you know, I had to live a righteous life. I had to do things right. And I had to, you know, I really had to focus. And this is where I'm getting to purpose now, because this is where Mm -hmm. I really started meditating on the Bible and saying, what is it, God, you want me to do? I know God wants us to serve other people. Mm -hmm. right and I knew I was called to serve other people but I never knew how and so I really started looking at God what purpose do you have for me I remember when I was a kid I wanted to be quote unquote rich but what I realized that was is I was driven to be successful I knew God wanted me to be successful I just didn't know how and so then I started trying to line my life up with the Bible and I started looking at different passages in the Bible and saying okay what is it That I need to be doing to serve people best, and what part of the Bible's Bible resonates with me in order to do that, Mm -hmm. and that was a stepping off point. And then I got to tell you, there's a hundred miracles around these things where we could get into those if you want. But yeah, I started started saying, you know, man, I need to follow the Bible more. And so some verses that really struck me were, you know, be kind to immigrants. You too, talking to Israelites, you too were strangers in the land of Egypt. Be kind to immigrants. -hmm. Right, Isaiah. You know, you stand up for the widows and orphans. Mm -hmm. Right, for God. You know, the word righteousness, which appears in the Bible over three hundred times, it actually means justice. Mm -hmm. And so I started saying, "Holy cow!" Like the Bible is a book of justice. Mm -hmm. It's a book of God's justice. But God gives us a map for what justice really is. And so, who am I supposed to serve? And then I started realizing I really liked immigrants. I lived in Miami. I moved to Miami because I like immigrants. Mm -hmm. I just did. Mm -hmm. And these are people I'm supposed to serve. And what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to get justice for them. And who are we supposed to protect the poor? We forget about all this stuff. You know, now we talk we're capitalists and all this stuff. But, you know, we we forget that capitalism doesn't leave a lot of room for Christian values. Right. Certainly, God rewards. It's a meritocracy. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But we also have to take care of the poor and the downtrodden and the weak and the widows and the orphans and the immigrants. Right. Which is what the Bible says. And so Mm -hmm. as I started, these things started resonating with me. Like I was just drawn. I said, this is what I'm really called to do when you're talking about purpose. I said, I've got to I've got to reshift my life. And we did.
0: Wow. And I really, you know, from getting to know you more on a personal level and also, like I said, just watching you guys from a distance over these years, like those are values that you have ingrained in your firm. And that is the foundation truly that you build Your life off of, and people can see that, not even like knowing you or being close to you um, from a distance, which I just think is so powerful. You know, when you do have that really that that life-altering moment of, you know, I can't do this without you, Lord or higher power or whatever people want to label that as, but you know, we know. Our truth, that is God, that is Christ. You know, you have such a higher purpose and a higher calling for my life. Here is my life. I give it to you con- to control. How can I serve you and how can I love other people through your word? He just takes our lives and just catapults it in such uh unbelievable and amazing way, which he has done for you. Um And, you know, I, and just the way that you've been able to fight for, you know, these minority groups and people who don't really have a voice, it's, it's really, it's truly amazing. Um, And I really do think that, you know, like you said, the book of the Bible is really, truly a a book of justice and how we can, um, how we can stand up and, you know, have a voice against what so-called the enemy is. And in today's culture, there are so many different ways the enemy is attacking and, you know, uh, just really strange and crazy ways, which we could get into. But I feel like this would be a three-hour podcast. Yeah,
1: it would go on a while. (laughs) But one thing I would like to say, listen, I want to be clear and set my intention here is I never want to be a stumbling block with mm. my christian faith yeah what else who was going to be a, like because because you know the church right now you know I, I was saying this to my to some of my senior managers today the the the, the trouble with the church mm. is that you have some churches which are very very let's call it progressive yeah. and you have some churches which are very conservative and if you take snippets of each of those groups of people out of context then you know or maybe sometimes in context right It's easy to say that's not me. I'm going to reject church. If you're liberal or conservative, you may reject the church because looking at you know things in a very kind of narrow way that they take positions. And and I I personally believe the church should not be involved in politics. Like I just I don't see how you can be political. Now I think most people stack up against me on that. I think most people want churches to be political, but. If you want to be political, you got to have accountability to mm-hmm. biblical values, right? So, but what, getting back to my original point, I don't want to be a stumbling block for anybody because I don't want to be in the box of this guy's a Christian, so therefore he must hate this group of people and this group of people and this group of people, or he yeah. must love this group of people, this group, of people. and I, I don't, I don't. I look at the yeah. Bible and I try and live by the Bible as best I can, and I want to love everybody and be an example for everybody, um, and, and hopefully not be a stumbling block. Bring people in to a relationship with God. Right. And the fact that way you you kind of hedge your language is I can tell you're being sensitive to that, that I know you're not always listening and you're not always talking to people who have, you know, have have gotten in that very close relationship. But I do want to be clear. The Bible does say if you want to enter into a relationship with God, it's through Jesus. And Jesus says you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God. That's what Romans says. I mean, that's and I never knew that as a Catholic. Right. I just didn't know that. And when I did that, things started going better for me. But yeah. Jesus also says, there are many rooms in my father's house. and I'm going to prepare a place for you. So does that mean that you have to, you know, he says he's the way and, and the light, but, you know, is there, other other paths? I mean, the Jewish people are the chosen people. So we're getting complicated now. The point is, I just want everyone to understand that I don't want, you know, my faith or what you may project onto my faith to be a stumbling block for us to have a relationship, because I hope I'm an example of what, you know, Jesus wants us to be, which is a light and the salt of the earth, which is ultimately- yeah.
0: And what you just said right there is one of the primary reasons why I started this podcast, because I think in this industry, there's just so many different opinions and we are just really missing what the true purpose is in having a relationship with Christ, And it's not about what sexuality you are or what gender you are or what ethnicity you are or where you've come from. It is just truly, purely that relationship that he wants to have with you. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And when you do enter into that relationship, it's such like, in my definition of it, it's such like a father-daughter relationship or like a a father-son relationship or whatever where... You know, when you spend more time with your father, you learn more lessons and more values and have a, a deeper connection, right? And we've all been called onto this earth for a purpose. Every single one of us doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what our background was. And, you know, entering into a relationship with our creator is that way, how we find what our purpose is is. And, you know, what, like with what you just said before, like the church is, you know, it it's a hierarchy and man has made it a hierarchy in the past and in history and has used it for controls and regulations and for power and to, for, for us to have some sort of dominance over other people, but what the true meaning and what the true purpose of the church was for, was for community. Right. And, you know, one of my other guests, Julia met, she came on and she's like, I am not interested in what the church has become as a business entity. We need to start focusing back again on the people within the church and where their souls are at and how we connect with each other on a soul basis and not for this hierarchy that people and man is trying to create to control dominance over us. And you know, it I think doesn't matter if you're left, right, center, wherever, I think a lot of us are speaking the same language where we just want to love one another and be heard and be seen and be respected. And you know, I think that there's a way how to really move forward in it peacefully and respectfully without causing all of this havoc and this judgment because it's not our place to judge it's not my place to judge I screw up left right and center I'm not perfect but I know that I am I I am saved and I can be forgiven and I'm gonna mess up 10 million other times in the next year or whatever. And just to have that, just to have that salvation and that grace and that peace, ultimately, that peace is just so wonderful to have. And knowing that I don't need to carry these burdens throughout my life because my creator, I can give them to God. I can give them to Christ and he can take them and carry them for me. And just, you know, the freedom that lives within that is just something that you want other people to experience, especially when you see them hurting and are in pain, and you know just to have that relationship. um So, thank you for sharing that. And that was it, probably that, that's that's amazing to to hear. And I think if people just heard that one part from this podcast, we would.
1: um I hope if, so because I, I, I do think that you know what you talk about relationships. We need to have a community. We have a community Mm -hmm. centered around Jesus, our relationship with God, exploring what God's purpose for our lives are. I mean, God has rules. Let's not kid ourselves. He does have rules. And you pointed out we are all constantly messing up on those rules. We are. And, uh, you know, when I was telling you that I was out partying, you know, at night, I got to tell you, you if you pick any passage of the Bible that says stuff is wrong. Probably I did a couple of those things in there. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it uh, certainly wasn't living a holy life, and so I would have been condemned, but for Jesus's relationship and forgiveness through God. So I, I just I'm just not in a position to you know put that on anybody else, except to say that you know I found my relationship, and now I try and be better. Yeah, right? and I try, and, and if I realize I mess up, I repent, and I just say, you know what, God help me. And when I say I realize I mess up, you know, we I believe in the Holy Spirit who is who then indwells us, and Hopefully he points out to me when I'm doing something that's wrong. Like, I'm really trying not to curse as much these days. I curse like a sailor. And it's like, I'm really, and especially it's, it's the worst part is when not the Holy Spirit, but my daughter, my little six-year-old now is like, daddy, you said the F word. I'm like, I, I mean, it's humiliating to me. And so I'm like, okay, I got to stop this. But it's uh, or God will use certain people. Right. Um, so, you know, we try and live a better life, you know, uh, with what God's principles are. But but, you know, what I struggle with isn't what everybody else struggles with. And we all have our own struggles. So it's really hard for me to to judge other people and what their path is, because I just I just don't know, except to say what I know, what God says. And and try, we try and do that, you know, as, as best I can.
0: Yeah, I I love that. I love that. And look, like we're all people at the end of the day, like and it's, you know, we all screw up, but it's just, you know, like I said before, just having that, that freedom to be able to receive grace. Um, yeah. I think
1: you, so you said something you asked, like, what was the, what was a big change that happened when I, when I had my conversion. And I do want to say a couple of things about using biblical principles in your business. Cause you talk about our culture, which is very much based in biblical principles. Yeah. I want to talk about hopefully two things if we get to it, but let me talk about the first thing, right? A lot of people look at the Bible as a rule, as a book of rules, right? They say what you can't do 613 original commandments of the Jewish people. And now we're, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. We have these commandments, right? The Bible sets out things that you shouldn't do. You know, you shouldn't, you know, offend, you shouldn't covet your neighbor's wife. You shouldn't do all these things right now. There is a whole portion of the Bible which says what you should do. And so one of the things that I realized early in my career was there is a roadmap to business success in the Bible that if you meditate on the covenants, what God promised Abraham and Adam and Noah and, you know, the the patriarchs and What Jesus promised us through Him, and what Paul declares over our lives in relationship with Jesus, if you look at these promises and covenants, you know people look at the Bible as what you can't do. I look at the Bible as what I can and should do. And the more that I can align my life with what I can be doing, it's like it's like the football rule book, right? I mean, the rules define what football is by definition. If you don't have, you know, uh, an oval shaped ball you're not playing football or rugby, you're playing soccer. If you have a round ball, it's soccer, right? By definition, that's the rule of the game. And so I think in some ways, the Bible is kind of the rules of life, that the more you can bring yourself, and particularly for us business people, into alignment with biblical principles, the more successful you will be. And I have found that as I began to install more biblical principles into my life and into my business, and particularly things like tithing and being generous and those sorts of things, my business had turned around. And just so you guys have some context of where we came from, my wife and I started the firm, we had over $400,000 in debt. You know, we settled, you see one of the biggest cases in the country, but we settled $500 million. We settled $150 million cases just last year, right? And, you know, from $460,000 in debt to significant financial prosperity, we have 10X the firm twice, so we went from our first year, we were, I think about $400,000 in revenue. Then we were at 4 million and then 40 million, over 40 million this year. So when you look at those things, that's a hundred X, you know, business multiplication. And that is because of God's business principles. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and there's, there's, and then the second part of what I wanted to touch on was even go back to the book of Genesis for a second, you know, God, and I, I told a whole class on this, but the, the bottom line is, is in the book of Genesis at the time of creation, in the beginning. God said, let there be light, right? God set about in creation of the universe in systematizing and organizing and bringing order to chaos. And so if you want to talk at a very high spiritual level to business people for a second, we are operating within a mandate from God because God gave that to Adam. You can look at this allegorically. You can look at this literally. God gave to Adam the authority over the world we really have the authority over our businesses and mm-hmm. what did we get the authority to do to organize them systematize them right bring order to chaos and i believe that business people that's what we do i think our responsibility as business people is as respons- as important as pastors and other religious figures because we live out the kingdom of god in our lives and i really started studying the bible from that perspective and that made a huge difference in my life mm-hmm. where i said what are biblical principles that I need to live in my life, like one biblical principle is don't yoke yourself unequally, which means I will never have a business partner besides my wife unless we are 100% consistent with what our spiritual and financial and family values are, right? Mm -hmm. We're just not going to. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the guy in charge until I find somebody who I can merge with that would be at that level. Mm -hmm. Why? Because if you're yoked unequally, you know the ox and the and the donkey, right? They can't pull the plow in the same direction, yeah. right? So that's that was one of my first business principles. Uh-huh. I had to get out of the business where I was yoked unequally, because I was talking about how great God is, and, and one of my partners was like, "Why are you always talking about God?" <laughs> you know, I mean, it's important. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, that's
0: that's not that's one of the most common things that come up from people that I know millionaires even billionaires my own father you know people who have real impact and influence in my life that's probably one of the number one things that they say is one of the biggest rules and keys for success is finding a partner who is equally yoked as Mm -hmm. you it is so important and you know even touching on one of the things that you said the book of psalms is a book of wisdom right Mm -hmm. One of the most powerful books that entrepreneurs can dig into to find biblical principles of wisdom to apply in their lives for success. Right. And, you know, big thing that I'm learning, I like to say as an adult, <laughs> but, you know, ever since I was a kid, everybody would be talking about the importance of tithing. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And, you know, I'm really starting to learn in my life now, and seeing, you know, the the um, the returns of understanding that our money and our success is not ours; it's God's. And when you first put that as a priority and giving God back what He has given you, it's just amazing what He can do with it, and what you know, just trusting and stepping into that. Um, it it's truly incredible and it just really uh, it really sets your your life up and your business up for just things that you couldn't even imagine when you get backed in first. Um, so I want to be respectful of your time and we could get into so many other levels of this onion here. But I want to talk a little bit about your firm, and the culture that you guys do implement in that. And I think that core values play such an important role in building culture and having influence. So, what would you say that your core values are today, personally and professionally, that you implement in your practice and in your personal life?
1: Uh, it's a great question. You know, I don't know if you watch my Instagram stuff, but I recently been talking about this. Luke. What do you value? right? What are the values you have in your life? What do you value? And uh, for us, you know, our core values, we sat down with, you know, about three or four years ago with the 10 longest lasting or surviving employees we had, I shouldn't say it that way, but the 10 longest employed people. And we said, let's go through and figure out what our core values are. We put a hundred words on a board and we started consolidating and crossing off and looking through this, and we came up with and 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 by the way, the firm, as far as I'm concerned, is an extension of myself and my wife. Yes. So when I say what my core values are in my firm, it is the same core values that I have in my life. Right. I and I may saying, tweak a couple of the words, but there's consistency. What was
0: that? I I was assuming you were gonna say something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And 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 but but listen, I'm 50. So I got this now. Like I, you know, at 50, you get your stuff sorted out. I've, I've had my dear death experiences. I've had like, you know, I've had some health scares. I had some other things like I got this now, like this is what it is to the end. Unless God shows up and says, Greg, I'm putting you on a stage somewhere else doing something. This is what I'm going to do till the very end. I'm going to get as big as I possibly can to help as many possible people as I can. But here are the core values, right? This is what it is till the end of my life. Number one service to my clients. Right. And I prioritize that. There are some business people who say, you know what, put your team first. I do not believe in that Mm. because if I subordinate the clients to my team, the team will not deal with sometimes difficult clients. Mm. So every client has a challenge. And my God, when we're dealing with personal injury, you have a family who is destroyed by something like a serious personal injury. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be easy to deal with. And I'm called to serve those people so i'm going to put that person first i'm going to put that person over my life right i'm really going to do my very best god has called me to serve that person so i'm going to make sure i serve my person now does that mean i don't make money no of course i make money i have to survive but when i have to make a value-driven decision service of the clients is the number one consideration and i will sacrifice profit to serve the clients i will i've done it in the past we've had cases where you know we've had to do that and we've done it and that's it so service of the clients number one most important core value Number two is service to the team, right? I've got to give back to my team. I've got to invest in my team. I've got to make sure that they're best prepared and trained to deal with this. And I want to get them, if I can help them accomplish their purpose in life or maybe figure out what their purpose in life is, ideally that aligns with my purposes and we'll be able to have a, a much better connection and much better results across the board and their lives, personal lives, as well as their professional lives. Mm-hmm. But number three is service to the community right we want to give back to the communities that we draw from right we get cases from our community we want to give back to those communities we draw from the labor force of communities we want to give back to those communities what do we give back to well single moms underprivileged kids who can't afford to go to school right we give backpacks for back to school we give thanksgiving dinners this is in addition to all the church stuff like this is this is I'm talking about in the community my wife and I are both on the board of I Have a Dream Foundation, right? We want to help kids get educated. because We think education is one of the key changes, change factors for people, change the arc of their lives. And I think we underwrote at least four scholarships this year, full rise to college. Wow. Not to brag, because that's not part of my tie or anything like that. This is just, you know, this is what we do to give back to the community. Yeah. That's core value number three. Core value number four is faith, right? Obviously faith. Now, I deal in a secular world. I can't say you got to have faith to work here, except to say, that I tell people you have to have faith in something bigger than yourself, mm-hmm. right? It may just be you have to have faith that you can do it yourself, right? You don't have to share my faith, right? I have Muslim employees. I have employees of other faiths that don't share my faith, but I hope they have some faith that their ability to accomplish something bigger than what they can see themselves doing today. I think mm-hmm. that's necessary for everyone to be successful in business. you got to have some degree of faith, right? I will my faith-
0: I will say, sorry to cut you off. I think that you have one of the most diverse group of employees at your practice from what I've seen.
1: So and that's intentional, right? Yeah. Because I don't listen, if I just had a bunch of robot Greg wards, that would be, first of all, we wouldn't get any work done. And and, it, and I wouldn't be able to serve my clients the same way. Like I want to, like, I want to find out, like I grew up in Baltimore and Baltimore is a very racially uh, diverse city right? And I want to, I, but I don't understand culturally always what people are going through. So I need to know what people from Cuba, how they look at the world and how people from the Dominican Republic look at the world. And I go to those countries, I go to those places to see what is your mentality? Like, I I can't just put my mindset on top of you. I need to see where you're coming from so that I can communicate better with you. And I do believe that diversity gives us more strength, you know, assuming we agree on the core principles, like we have diversity of you know, ethnicity and religion and sexual orientation and all those things, but core values, we want to serve other people, right? If you have that core value, I'm okay with everything else, right? You know, if you're honest and all the ethics, those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. right? Accountability. This Mm -hmm. is a really important one, you know, and this is a tricky one because most people don't actually want to be held accountable nowadays, right? That's a, that's a big gap and accountability. I say most people, I shouldn't say that, but, but I've noticed there is a general trend where people do not like to be held accountable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We want to have our own way. The COVID kind of made us unaccountable and it may be because we all have PTSD. You know, there's no, no blame or no condemnation, but at the same time, you know, I want people who like the sports stars who are like, you know, Hey, you didn't catch the pass. Let's do the pass drills until you get it right. That's accountability. know, like you didn't catch the pass. Oh, I couldn't have caught it because of X, Y, Z. That's not accountability. I want people who, in their lives, are showing some kind of accountability, where they realize that when they make mistakes and try and improve it. You know, you see all the greats have a strong sense of accountability, right? So accountability.
0: Do you think? Sorry to cut you off. Do you think that's because of the culture that is being programmed into society?
1: Man, that's a loaded question. I don't know. Like I talk about this with my wife. My wife is a millennial. It would be easy to say it's generational. Listen, guys, like I said, I'm 50. You know what? There were people who weren't accountable in my generation, right? It's easy to say that there are people coming up who are less accountable. That's, I don't, I don't necessarily, I think millennials and the iGen and Gen Z, whatever the labels are, I think everybody cares. You know, they, they do want to do better. They do want to give back. Is there a sense of entitlement? I mean, it's easy for me to say that because I see people looking like they're entitled, but you know what? I probably was the same way. You know, I, okay. I'm on the board of trustees for a law school or for a Bayer university. And they have a law school. Right. Mm -hmm. And I went up to talk to the students. I said, Hey, listen, law students. I said, Hey, listen, what are your top three concerns in law school? And I swear to you, they were the same three top concerns that I had 25 years ago when I was in law school, like Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. It's true. And so, you know, entitlement, I don't know. I just think we need to find a better way to motivate people. Mm -hmm. You know, And so, you know, but, but, you know, I, Will you catch me on a secret recording saying everybody's entitled? Not it. Maybe, maybe I do say that. I don't know. You know, And I do feel like it sometimes, but at the same time, I don't like to label generations because I think that every generation tries their best and has their, their things and they just may be different than what my things are. You know, I was a tail end of uh, Gen X and we had a different view on things. And so I don't know. I don't like, the, I don't like the bucket and label. I just want to find out what works for people and get them to be their best potential.
0: I think you nailed it right there. It's the way that we deliver communication to people and the way that you motivate people, you know, it changes, it evolves. And, you know, even the way, how you serve people, how you build a team, like the same things aren't going to work that worked 20 years ago that work today. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. That's Uh, a good point. That's what you like. Like here's the arrogance of the, the older generations, myself included. The arrogance is I believe that I can talk to you the way that I want to be talked to, and it's going to work for you. Mm -hmm. It's not. I got to figure out how you want to be talked to, right? And what really inspires you. That's what a leader does is I, what can I do to help you get to your maximum potential, right? Mm -hmm. Not Greg Ward is a generation X with the grew up lower middle class, blah, 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 whatever my baggage is and my biases and all my lenses and everything I look through, Like, Mm -hmm. I can't put that on you. I've got to find out what works for you. And so I'm always trying to communicate with people. I don't always do a good job of it, but i want to communicate with people. How do you want to be helped? Mm -hmm. Right? Not managed, but how do you want to be helped? How can I help you be the best that you want to be? Now, don't tell me, oh, I want to serve other people. And then don't ever serve other people. Like you say, I want to serve other people, but then you go home and sit in your pajamas every night. Yeah you know what, you've got a value problem. You really need to look at, do you want to serve people or do you want to sit on a couch in your pajamas? Uh, you know, I mean, so we got to be honest about it. But if you're being honest, you know, uh, we can work together. I just got to find what works in communication. You know, yeah. and I can't really expect people who are half my age to understand how I'm talking because I have context that they don't have. So that's on me, not them. Right. Yeah. It really is. I got to learn how to communicate more effectively.
0: Totally. How do you, what are some of the things that you do to communicate effectively besides, so like, take me through inside of your office to your employees, when you're trying to connect with these people, when you're trying to motivate them or inspire them to, um, to achieve what your vision of success is for your firm, what, what are some tools or strategies that you use?
1: Okay. So as you know, we have 160 employees. By the way, we've got two core values, leadership and loyalty. Mm. I'm just going to say, because you're asking a question about leadership now, I'm going to tell you about loyalty, that I look at loyalty different than most people. When I say be loyal, I don't say be loyal to me as a human being, be loyal to our principles, and we will be very, very fine. You know, I don't because loyalty is a tricky one where people, you know, people pulled loyalty out on me before and they're like, oh, you're not loyal when they've you know, stolen a client or something I'm like, hey, wait, 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 wait. you know, mm-hmm. be loyal to my principles and let's and we'll, we'll get along fine. But let's talk about leadership, which is what you're getting at here. Um, when you get to an organization that's our size, I really actually don't lead anybody but the circle of people immediately around me, which is about 10 people. So when I'm communicating with people, I try and pitch the message. I do talk to young people and I ask them generally what's important. Like my, my four year old is now 17. So I ask her, you know, what's important? Where, where do you feel like you're missing things? What aren't you getting in life? Like, what is it? I wanna know what her concerns are and what where she feels overwhelmed and stuck. Mm-hmm. I talk to younger people to kind of get their feedback about what, what issues are they dealing with in life, mm-hmm. right? So, but really I'm leading the group of people around me who are in their 35 to 45 year old range And those 35 to 45 year olds are leading the 20 to 35 year olds. So every one of my 10 leaders has 10 people under them, sometimes 20, where they're leading those people. And so I want to be a strong of a leader and a resource to the people who are around me and know what their concerns are, and then teach them that they need to find out what their people's concerns are and help teach them how to support those people. Because at this point now, the receptionist... Don't even like they know me, but they don't talk to me. I'll say Mm -hmm. hi to them when I walk by, but, and I'll try. If I have five minutes to stop by and talk, I will. But the truth is, is, you know, an organization is size. I don't get to know everybody as much as I would like to. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have this delegation system of leadership where I lead the inner group. Now, if I see one of my, one of my leaders is not living up to our values of client service and service to the team, I'm going to have a conversation of accountability with that leader. So they know that i'm watching them that i'm holding them accountable and if i hear that for example they've been abusive like we don't have any screamers here but if i hear somebody's abusive to staff like that's a non-negotiable for us like you're not a screamer i got yelled at when i was a young attorney i don't like it so you're not going to yell at anybody in my organization Mm -hmm. so those kinds of things but but we are pretty intentional and then you know when we hire people we look for those core values showing up in their resumes right we want to see people who've served others somehow we want to see people have some accountability we get on board those people and we test too. We have a lot of screening things we do. We use Jay Henderson to his testing and we do disc analysis and we do, we have a pretty detailed interview process and those sorts of things. So, you know, when we get somebody on board, we know that they've got at least some shining light of our core values in them. And hopefully we can cultivate that and get them a home here, you know, Mm because turnover is expensive and I want to make sure that we're Allowing people to prosper as best they can. If they can't get it here, I, I, I feel like I failed. I want to make sure that I give them the environment where they can be successful.
0: I'm assuming you guys don't have a ton of turnover at your firm.
1: You'd be surprised. Um, you know, it's because this is a weird job market right now. The and we've level. also. am so lower you
0: know, level though. You, I'm, oh like, yeah, I've,
1: I, I, I've, my, that 10, that group of 10 has not yeah, changed in five I, years.
0: That's what I was. That's what I was alluding to. Like I feel like your core, because you, like you said before, you're a very intentional person, and I feel like if your values don't align with yours, because you're so busy and you are focusing on, you know, twenty thousand different things, you don't have time to give your energy to people that don't align with yours. And so, build an organization like you have, and like Connie has had. You guys don't have time to, you know, entertain people that just don't align. But so that's what I was saying that I I couldn't imagine that you guys have a lot of turnover within those higher levels within your organization. Of course, you're gonna have a lot of turnover within the lower levels because you know, people come in, it's not a good fit, and then they leave, right? Or people
1: they come in, they go and then they go to law school. Like I had a bunch of people go to law school, like. Awesome. You know, I I mean, it's good, but I wish, you know, I would like to try and get a year out of somebody before they go to law school. You know, sometimes people come in for three months and then I'm like, oh man, I spent three months training you, you know? Um, so it, it, it is, it is a challenge. Uh, I don't like to say lower level. I do believe that everybody in my firm, gosh, if one person doesn't do their job, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you an example of that, uh, you know, um, I'll give you an example of a really massive case that we got in.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that case had come because we had actually discharged this client's like sister-in-law because there was no coverage. Mm. And a client support person with a attorney had called up this person and said, Hey, listen, we're sorry. We don't, you don't have a case. You know, we're really sorry. If you ever have a case again, call us. But this case here there's no coverage, they sent us a massive case when their brother got in trouble Mm. and uh, you know, like if that client support rep had not done an excellent job, mm-hmm. that would have been terrible. It would have been really terrible for the client because they would have gone somewhere else. And I think we were the best friend for them. But oh. more importantly, it would, you know, so ev- everybody has a place and my client support people who, are you know, we call our receptionist client support. Um, they're important. They're all very, very important to me. I just can't invest the time. As you said, I don't have the time to invest in them as I would with anyone else. And, and but you're also right, younger people are less certain about what their what their focus in life is. like they could come in here. man, i I, I gave a, a class on finding your life's purpose like two years ago, and the next day one of my top case managers quit and wanted to become a realtor. And I was like, listen, that's the wrong for you. I know you're not a realtor. Like I don't like to tell people their purpose, but I know it's not being real estate. And she crashed. she totally crashed. Yeah. um you know, and I, and it breaks my heart she was a great case manager and she would have done really well and would have advanced and would have, could have made more than six figures here. Uh, if she, uh, you know, as a paralegal, if she had really stuck with it for a few years, but she ended up, she didn't want to listen and she went into her thing. So that breaks my heart, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, you can only do so much for, for people, right. Yep. You give them all the tools and, you know, the, 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 the book on how to advance and how to succeed. They just have to take it and implement it. Um, so we are just coming up to over an hour here and I know that you are an extremely busy man and I want to be respectful of your time. And so, um, how can people find you? How can they connect with you?
1: Oh, Instagram, I think it's attorney, Greg Ward, uh, and LinkedIn, Gregory Ward. Um, don't email me. (laughs) It's uh, emails an abomination. It's that's going to get buried. You will yeah. get an auto reply that says, "I don't look at my emails because my secretary has to call through all those."
0: But like, Instagram so is the best awesome.
1: way. <laughs> yeah, my, my my wife, Honey Martinez Ward. If you guys want to look at some marketing stuff, you probably are all interested in marketing and how to how to market and grow and scale. Like my wife is great at marketing. Look at her Instagram. Like we do some good stuff on on Instagram, and my wife does some stuff on TikTok too. But the good stuff is on Instagram, uh, and as I say, in LinkedIn. That's LinkedIn is probably the best way. Uh, happy to talk. If you guys are looking for a firm, I, I'm always looking to acquire firms. We're expanding. We just opened a New York office. We're in Texas as well. Um, we're in Manhattan and New York. Uh, it, we serve Spanish speaking clients. My wife is extraordinarily great at getting Spanish speaking clients. You know, we're doing TV, radio, internet, like we're just, we're a big machine now. So it's, uh, but we, but we really, I die for my clients and I love them you know very 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 much and if you want to be in organizations like that you know give us a shout out because we're always looking for good people always 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 if, if your values align with what our values are I'd love to expand you know this place and give you a home uh that's important to me so hopefully that's uh you know will be useful for you guys and I'm always happy to help other people with advice about their firms I can't always help everybody but I love to talk about business and growth and biblical principles for business and all those things. I've got a lot to uh you know, to, to say about those things. Cause uh, I think it's important. The more we bring our biblical principles into our businesses, I think the better we're going to be. And then let me finish by saying tithe, right. you mentioned, you touched on tithing. Tithe. Yeah. If you want to see financial abundance, tithe and don't get in the philosophical arguments, Malachi 310, whether Paul's talking about whether we have to tithe 10% or not. I say 10%. Yeah. Because I will tell you that I was tithing even before I was, really Christian. I was tithing into the Catholic. Um, but I've had many financial miracles come as a result of tithing and giving offerings to churches. Uh, I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars back immediately after Mm -hmm. giving special offerings to churches and other causes and things. It's amazing what God has for you, you know, release the little thing you have in your hand and God's got a big thing. He wants to drop in your arms. So Mm -hmm. you've got to let go with a little bit, that you have. So you can receive something even bigger. So please get in the habit of tithing. If you're not ready to tithe, start small, you know, give something every week to get yourself in the habit of it and then work your way up to it. Cause tithing is, I think is probably the most important financial principle, uh, in order to make your firm, you know, take off and explode.
0: It is so true. Everything that you just said there and yeah, it's literally life-changing. Um, Well, thank you so much for your time, Greg. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure all of our listeners have um, really took a lot of value out of this call. So thank you for everybody that is tuned in. Remember, you can find my podcast on my YouTube channel at Purpose Driven Law, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care.